Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We are back. Today, Julie, you and I are going to be talking about um, buyer agency, and we're going to be framing this so that we address a lot of the questions and comments we've been getting from listeners Mm -hmm. as pertains to the commission sharing agreements and the co-op commissions and buyer agency and the future of all that. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about that, and then we're also going to be giving you guys specifically an action plan, a five-part system in essence, so that you can actually start using buyer agency contracts. And let's just start out by giving you guys the bottom line on what we think is actually going to happen with regards to all these commission sharing agreements. And and here it is. A big bunch of nothing. Yes, a nothing burger, as they say. Yes, I would say very little fundamentally is going to change in the way you transact and work with buyers. Uh, on Now, where, where we are or we, where we could be wrong and where it will be interesting to see how the market and the industry sorts itself out and figures out how to go about this is there won't be an implied co-op commission mm-hmm. um, from the seller to the buyer's agent, as has been historically the case for many years. Yes. Now, what a lot of you might be surprised by is we actually have a lot of good uh, benchmarks that we can use to sort of understand how the market will adjust, and I'll give you the best one. In basically everywhere in the world except U.S. and Canada, there is no co-op. So in other words, if you're in the U.K., for example, and you wanted to see a property for sale as a, you know, a buyer and you're interested in a you know, you, you'd go to an estate agency, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, And you'd go into the estate agency and you'd ask to see their specific listings. Mm-hmm. Now, their specific listings, if none of them fit your needs or what you're after, then you'd go to another estate agency and another and another and another. But what you don't have is this estate agency that's offering to pay a commission to a buyer's agent to sell their listing. So I'm not suggesting in any way that's going to happen in the, in, uh, the United States because it won't. In the United States... There's been buyer's agency where obviously there was a set commission amount that the seller would uh, pay from their proceeds and half of which would typically go to the buyer's agent. You guys know how it works. Now, what's going to happen in the future is, is that there's going to be added, the future being maybe now, (laughs) there are going to be added disclosures that are going to have to be signed at the time you take a listing agreement where it's going to specifically, I think, in a lot of detail explain to the seller that they don't have to pay a buyer's agent's commissions. But the reality of it is, is that in most cases, the sellers are still going to pay the buyer's agent's commissions, but the buyer agent's going to have to um, essentially ask. And ask, starting with asking the, the buyer to pay the commission, and then the buyer passes that expense back to the seller as a cost of the transaction. You guys get get where all this is going, and most most likely that's what how it's all going to um, happen. So in other, in other words, at present, it could be, I think, argued that the seller is paying, you know, the buyer's agent's commission, but that buyer's agent's commission is um, already, you know, a factor of the price of the home. Yes. Essentially, what we're getting is a bit more transparency at the end of the day. Right. And and there is probably, I think, there obviously legally could be an argument made that the sellers weren't um, made aware 
despite the fact that on the MLS and all the listing contracts, it actually says, right? Seller's net sheets, things of that nature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where it actually has a blank where you can write in what the co-op commission is. But yeah. being setting all of that aside, I think it, obviously it could be, the argument could be successfully made that the seller was never told that the buyer's agent's commission isn't something that they're absolutely required to pay. and Not as explicitly as it will now. Right. So where is that going to leave a lot of you as buyer's agents? And if you have teams and, um, you know, you have staff, they're going to have to learn not just how to get the state required agency form assigned, but they're also going to have to get the exclusive agency contract signed. And that's going to be something, well, here, Julie and I sold real estate for a long time. And we sold real estate in the 90s. And we had a real estate team. We had seven or eight, is that how many we had? Buyer's mm -hmm. agents who were working for us at the time. And a lot of you guys know uh, head coach Rochelle. She actually was one of them. And then she started helping us run the buyer's agents. Uh, but one of the requirements that we had of the buyer's agents is when they were to meet with a buyer for the first time, that they had a formal presentation that they would give to the buyers. Uh, and then part of the presentation, the output of the presentation was not just having the agency form signed as required by the state, but also having a net sheet signed where they're disclosing all the expenses that, you know, that way the buyer can't say they didn't know. And frankly, it's a good thing for them to have an idea of where their money's going from the, you know, all the little miscellaneous fees from the lender side of things. And then an exclusive buyer's agency contract signed. But in addition to that, we also had service guarantees. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's assume that the entire real estate industry is going to quickly adopt the same process that Julie and I used back in the 90s, mm -hmm. and that you're going to start having to have, when you work with a buyer, all of those different forms signed, and you're then going to have to explain to the buyer why you're worth whatever your buyer's agent commission is, and then you're also going to have to explain to the buyer the different ways that that commission, um, frankly, can be offset as a cost of the transaction, which, again, has it's always been done that way, but now it's just going to be done that way with a higher level of transparency, as Julie said. That's right. And in fact, we're going to do this in a couple of different pieces. Today, we're going to take the elephant out of the room. I've, I've really spent a lot of time reading agent chatter and you know, all these lawsuits that are happening and all of the real estate news. We're going to talk about what you guys are asking as your immediate reaction, which is how do you actually show your value to a buyer? We're going to talk about that today. And then in a couple of podcasts, we're going to do a deep dive drill down into more of what you're talking about, which is how to actually have a real honest to goodness buyer presentation, what should be included in the buyer presentation, and how that concludes with the logical signature to the different forms of representation. So we're gonna take this in a couple of pieces. Today we're gonna to talk more about how they're going to provide service when they have those conversations. And I guess what we're hoping that all of you take away from these, uh, this, this conversation we're having with you is that you know traditionally working with buyers has been physical labor and working with sellers has been mental labor. In other words, the skill set required to be a successful listing agent all the way from the lead generation to the whole process, it did require a lot more skill set than working with mm -hmm. a buyer. Because working with a buyer is the reason that most agents when they get into the industry, they're more attracted to working with buyers because it's more of a, it's, it's your time that you're selling, but there's not a lot of skill necessary because at the end of the day, and don't take this the wrong way, listeners, but this is the reality of it, Aside from investors, the buyer is, you're not really selling a house to a buyer. The house is, the buyer either likes the house or they don't. Mm -hmm. And you're, so, so really there wasn't a lot of skills necessary 
to, you know, the buyer likes it, likes it, you're, you know, you love it. You know, that's the whole... That's and the buyer is really driving the train there. They're excited. Exactly. They're wanting to see things. You know, they're moving forward. With listings, it can be different, right? It's more of an agent-driven scenario where the seller is trusting the agent to get the job done at a different level than when you're working with buyers. And really, you find them in the right house. They're enthusiastic about it. They buy it, assuming they're qualified. And the, the level of complexity with working with sellers in the listing side of things, the skill set necessary, is there's no comparison. It's more complex. But what we're going to see, and this is where... this is going to be the part that's going to a lot of agents are going to struggle with because so many agents especially in the last 15 years who've only worked with buyers and they've been buying buyer leads and the rest of it they haven't have had to justify their fee to the buyer's agent they don't know how to in essence sell why they're worth what the buyer's agent's commission is because it's been an entitlement to the transaction you know paid for on this on the listing side that's all going to change you have to assume that's going to change so buyer's agents out there those of you who are running buyer's agents or have teams or brokerage of any size you're going to have to educate your buyer's agents really all agents but buyer's agents in particular who've never learned how to be listing agents you're going to have to educate them on how to explain to the buyer their value and if you cannot you're going to see a lot of agents are going to needlessly struggle in other words again to make this very clear when you're being a listing agent, you're going to most of the times you're going to be competing for the listing. You might be competing with another centers of influence past client agent. You might be competing against, uh, you know, the whatever, right? You're going to be competing. So you're going to have to have a listing presentation, a pre-listing pack. You're going to have to know how to overcome objections. You're going to have to know how to, you know, doctor fill the seller when necessary. All these things. All these things are also going to now be true on the buyer side. It won't, it won't have the same level of complexity as working with a listing, but it's not going to be that far off. And that is going to be a sea change with how buyer agents have traditionally worked with buyers. Yes, that's right. Because the traditional answer, if it came up, when it came up, was, well, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, you know, it doesn't really cost you anything to work with me. So right? why wouldn't you work with me? Because the seller pays my fee. That was the objection handler, right? right. And in fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but there have been some brokerages and some MLSs that have specifically outlawed that phrase. They have said, you are no longer allowed, if you work at ABC Company, to say that it does not cost you anything to work with a buyer's agent. Right. So that's the type of change that we're going to have to support here. And so that leads them to their burning question, which is how do you actually provide overwhelming value to your buyer client? How can you become more comfortable asking for an exclusive buyer agreement and along with it, the expectation to be paid for your hard work? So that's kind of where we're starting this conversation and then throughout the week, we'll get more complex. So top five ways, there's more, but we only have so much time on a podcast, top five ways to provide overwhelming value to your buyer clients. Well, here's the fact. If you are not doing anything for them that they cannot do on their own, why would they hire you in the first place, much less potentially pay for your fee or part of your fee? You could stop right there because that is so powerful. And that is really, if you go back and listen to the thousands of past podcasts that we've done, mm -hmm. Julie and I knew that these changes were going to uh, take place even be even before the commission hearing lawsuits and the class actions, even before all that actually spun That's up, right. we've been preparing all of our coaching clients, certainly and podcast listeners, for the last really 16 years because this it was so obvious that this was the direction the market was going to go. Why? Because the mar every sort of uh, you know in a capitalistic market, basically, market forces are always going to try to squeeze as much out of the transaction as possible. In the low hanging fruit 
was on the buyer agent side. And as soon as you start saw buyer's agents lining up to pay ridiculous referral fees for their buyer agent leads, you knew that there was going to be downward pressure on the buyer agent commission because they're already for so sure. willing to concede the fact that they're not going to lead generate themselves. And then add a few lawsuits to just prove the point, right? Exactly. Now, so, yeah. so again, where does all this go? Julie's going to read you guys some points. But in Premier Coaching, there is a section that is specifically about working with buyers. There is a presentation that we are constantly evolving, obviously we have to, <laughs> that is specifically for you to present to your buyers where the output is going to be them signing a net sheet, them signing a buyer's agency contract, exclusive agency contract, right? That's going to be what the result is. Just as if you'd given a listing presentation and the output of that is going to be a signed listing contract. You guys get it? So if you're wanting to know where to take your education and, and really where to close this loop when you're trying to, okay, now I understand what Tim and Julie are saying. I want to go to the next level. It's very simple. Scroll down, click the link to join Premier Coaching or just go to premiercoaching.com and you can join Premier Coaching right now for free. And yes, that does include a daily semi-private coaching call. So your goal then is to provide such overwhelming value that they, that you are all your buyer clients are talking about to their friends. Repeat, referral, lather, rinse, repeat. They are getting ready to buy a house. You want them to be bragging about you because you're providing such amazing value. Now, Tim was working ahead there a second ago because point number one is indeed uh, present to your buyer clients in the same professional manner that you do to a listing client. Use our buyer presentation where you outline exactly what the buying process is, what your role is, what the buyer's role is, and how you'll be working together to accomplish everything. More and more, you're going to start to compete for buyer business. I know you haven't had to do that before, but this is one of the upshots of these changes. You're going to have to compete for buyer business in a similar way that you do for listings, thus the need for the actual presentation. And again, in a later podcast this week, we're going to get deeply into that buyer presentation. You know, Julie, it used to be that we would, like if you wanted to differentiate yourself in the marketplace as working with buyers, you'd have a presentation. You'd explain to them, you know, you can work with for sale by owners. You can work with builders. All these are part, part and parcel of our buyer presentation. But now it's going to be required. Yes, that's Everyone's the going to have to. Now, they're going to. So if you really want to have a, you know, a differentiator in the marketplace, formalize your approach to working with the buyers urgently. Do that 100%, today. 100%. And, and they're going to demand it. That, well, legally, it's going to yes. be required. Imagine if you're a buyer's agent and you don't have a formal presentation or if you're running a team of buyer's agents mm -hmm. and your buyer's agents don't have a formal presentation and they're just going to show up with a stack of paperwork, one of which is this onerous looking scary thing yeah. saying, guess what? You owe me this amount of money if you buy a house through me. I mean, good luck with any of that getting actually signed. I mean, frankly. Well, the definition of closing, you're talking about closing for a signature. The definition of a close is the logical ending to what? A great presentation. The reason that many of you have never done it or you've tried it and been unsuccessful is because you tried to close without presenting. And those of you who have this religious opposition almost to having exclusive buyer's agency contract signed, I don't, I understand why you feel that way, especially if most of your clients are centers of influence and past clients types. It's weird asking your friends mm -hmm. and you know people you know from church or whatever to sign something exclusively with you. But you're going to have to move towards the uh, real reality that that's what the market is going to dictate. That's going to become a, a, a requirement in essence, which will in some ways make you feel uncomfortable until you learn scripts and objection handlers and you know how to present. But you've got to understand the entire industry is moving in that direction. So it won't just be you asking for an exclusive buyer's agency contract. Everyone who's wanting to stay in the real estate industry is going to also be asking for the same thing. Otherwise, there's no guarantee you're going to get 
frankly paid for your work. Well, and that's a good thing that it's normalizing, that I you're agree. not going to be the only one. Okay, so again, we're talking about providing overwhelming value. Number two seems so obvious. Find them their dream home. Well, one of the top concerns for buyers as well as agents right now is the historic lack of inventory. But it is your job, not theirs, to find the right home for their needs. So stop waiting for them to send you a link to the house they want to see next. By the time they do that, it's probably already sold. Drill down on their needs and get out there and find it. Again, that goes back to the buyer presentation in the questionnaire. So I was on the phone, yes. actually, I Zoom prior to today's call with Leo Pahara from EXP mm -hmm. Realty. And Leo was telling me that, uh, as you and I have been you know, announcing on this podcast, that the total number of home sales for 2023 is going to be the lowest since 2009. Yes. And it's going to be less than 4 million. Mm -hmm. And the total number of new construction sales is projected to be less than 700,000. Mm -hmm. So the total number of transactions this year, if you guys want to know what a tough year in real estate is, you just lived through it or almost have lived through it. And, um, you know, moving forward, it's going to only improve. This will be the bottom. But he made a really great point. You and I've said it too, but I like how succinct he said it. What you essentially will, this is the floor, mm -hmm. because that is the number of uh, transactions per year that need to be done because of people moving up, moving down, people, you know, you know, they're- Have, have to move movers. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you've taken out the fluff. Yeah. You've taken out the aspirational movers. The flipping the investors, the FOMO, the writing the market up, all of that kind of so stuff. So the core market mm -hmm. is around 4 million transactions per year. Yeah. So this is what the bottom floor feels like, guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting is agents love to talk about a housing crash, and I think that they've really um, been expecting prices to crash when, in fact, it's been a sales crash. Yes. If you want to really well, put some color crash, to it. an basically. inventory yeah. crash, right? A, a um, enthusiasm crash, if you will. And and the good news is we are going up from here. You know, I think that it feels like the bottom finally. We've all suffered through that, and the only place to go is up. You know, it is to your point, and everyone was predicting a mass exodus of agents. That didn't happen. Nope. It's like all these naysayers that were expecting everything to be like it was during the housing crash. I they know. were all wrong. I know. Yeah. I mean, this time is not just like last time. Right. So let's get back to our point number two was to actually find them their dream home. Well, you know, we've done entire podcasts about other places to find other besides the MLS. But since the MLS is your number one tool, be more creative in your searches. Change the search area. Change the type of home. Or find an equally great school district to look at that has more inventory or a different price range. Remove square footage as a requirement. Look for a three-bedroom with a loft instead of for only four bedrooms, for example. You have to be so much more creative to win the right house for your buyer clients. And again, refer to our podcast series about how to find inventory that's not just in your MLS. Now, I'm going to take issue with your uh, what you said, and I, I know you won't argue with me because you'll agree as soon as I say okay. what I'm about to say. Find them their dream home. No such thing exists. Well, yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking from the buyer's perspective. Right. I mean, one could argue that their dream home is one that exists that has maybe 60 or 70 percent of what they want in fairly close to the area they want it, kind of near their price range. Well, I'm going to tell, tell them the funny yeah. story about Les Wexner. Sure. So we're, Julie and I are from <laughs> Central Ohio, and there was this guy named Les Wexner. He's still alive. Who? Uh, developed Bath and Body Works and Victoria's Secret and all these Abercrombie and Fitch, all these right. major uh, mall brands, right? And he's a billionaire, so he built this house. Uh, we were we've got you know we were at charity things, and let me tell you that house is like nothing I've ever seen before. And if I never see a more amazing house in my entire life, uh, that's fine because basically it was a palace, spectacular. It was ridiculous, and mm -hmm. he built it out of the ground. All right, so he he bought all this land. He built all these stables. The detail was insane. It was just ridiculous in every stretch of the imagination. 
Inside the house was some of this, the most beautiful art you've ever seen. This guy had this where uh, this beautiful showroom of some of the rarest Ferraris in the world. I mean, this is you know off the charts. Okay, but off in his in, in his direct view at his front door was this ugly as hell. Way it's there, but it, you you know you couldn't see it during the day, but you could see it at night. Telephone ta- or um, radio antenna. Yeah. Okay. And so, and this thing was lit up every night. And so, I remember Julie and I were walking out of his house, going to some uh, charity event, and and we walked out, and there was a bunch of security there that met us, and they're bringing our car around. And I remember like looking, thinking, "Oh my gosh, I, I just want to take all this in because it was so mesmerizing." And then when my eyes settled, I was looking at the horizon, in this absolutely god awful you know, middle finger to, you know, Wes Wexner was way on the horizon. The point being, there is no such thing as a dream home. No, and, it, you know, you remind me of another client that we had that actually was somebody who actually found sunken gold. And if you remember working with him, his price range, I always thought his price range was crazy because he, he you know, he said he'd go up to $5 million and it could be anywhere in Columbus. Well, that's kind of broad, right? And then when you drill down, well, I'd like to have some land. It needs to be at least, you know, three or 4,000 square feet. And I'll never forget, we would, oh, we would be showing him, like, spectacular land with caves and waterfalls and just beautiful trees. But then the house would be, eh, kind of okay. And then the next showing would be, like, this amazing house, but there would be some kind of eyesore nearby. Or you'd have to drive past a pig farm. Up to $5 million. So even with a really, you know, great budget, you're never going to, to your point, you're never really going to have your dream home. Even with new construction, there's going to be some compromises. But so, again, I'm going into coaching mode now. We love sure. telling our stories. Uh, by the way, you guys should Google Tommy Thompson. That's who she was just talking about. <laughs> That's a hilarious. Interesting character. Yeah, you guys should Google that guy's name. But listen, so okay. in our buyer agent uh, section of Premier Coaching, there's a whole bunch of scripts of when you're pre-qualifying, for example, the buyer pre-qualification script. Yes. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions, actually several of the questions, drill down on essentially the buyer's motivation mm-hmm. and if they're realistic as far as what their expectations are based on what right. they can afford. And you will find in most cases that when you ask the questions in which the, in the order in which we've written them, that you will quickly discover that you know the people that are not actually going to be willing to compromise their dream home vision are going to self-select and you're not going to frankly want to work with them because they're never going to buy anything because they're never going to find anything that checks all the boxes. But you've got to drill down to find out who's who and you need more information, not less information. And this goes back to sales skills. It's similar to when you're pre-qualifying a seller and you're trying to find out if the seller wants to sell or has to sell, whether they have you know realistic expectations. This goes back to sales skills. And so don't be intimidated by what we started today's podcast sharing with you guys because it's just sales skills. And once you've, you know, how do you learn sales skills? You, you memorize them, you internalize them, and then you personalize them. And that whole process, it doesn't take years. It could take, frankly, a week, two weeks. Working with buyers when you're following a proven presentation, when you're following a proven system, it's still more fun, frankly, in a lot of cases than working with sellers. Sure. It does obviously require more time, but it's, it's just a process. That's really all it is at the end That's of the right. day. That's right. So learn the process. So again, answering the question, how do you provide overwhelming value? Point number three, know and present solutions to get the better than average mortgage interest rate, the other gorilla in the room besides inventory, right? How are you going to help them get a better than average mortgage interest rate so that they can then have the payment they desire? Well, you don't have to know as much as your competent mortgage lender does. 
assuming that you're working with great mortgage lenders, but you should be able to competently discuss two one buy downs, adjustable rates, and how to pay points to lock in a lower rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage. Loop your lender in, have coffee with your buyer clients and your lenders to discuss loan options to meet their goals. Well, and frankly, make sure you're not working with Larry the Lazy Lender. I know you guys love it when I say that. <laughs> so Larry. We, make sure you're not working with Lucy or, uh, Lucy or Larry the Lazy uh, you know, lazy lenders, because they need to know this stuff as well. What you should all be doing, if you haven't done it already, is you need to be going to your lender and you need to be quizzing them, not just on their mortgage products and the rest of it. Most lenders don't really know how to do creative uh, financing. And by creative financing, all we're talking about is what Julie just said. It's basically what most of the national builders are doing. They're taking a portion of the money that the person is paying for the house, and then they're buying down the interest rates. They're giving the buyers uh, more, you know, payment options, different solutions to accomplishing the financial goal. You're going to have to know how to explain to your buyers uh, how that process works. And ideally, you have lenders that do it for you and you can work with the lender and the lender knows a lot more about it than you do. But you're going to have to check the lender because a lot of the lenders, again, this is something you, I don't want you guys to learn on the job because the lessons are too costly. I'd rather just you listen to what I'm saying now. A lot of the lenders, they are limited with the types of mortgage products that they can offer to your buyers. So they might have five or six things or maybe two or three things mm -hmm. that are a fit based on your uh, payment or I'm sorry, based on the credit score, based on this, the different parameters. of. Now, that doesn't mean that the lender, you know, down the street doesn't have more products, more options available to your buyer. So what you'll often find is Larry the Lazy Lender is going to try to pigeonhole your buyer into one particular product because that's all he's got to sell. That's right. And he's not going to say there are these other products out there. He's not going to know about Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. He's not going to know about the FDA loans. He's not going to know. He maybe can't even do a VA loan, and yet you're, you're, you're dealing with a veteran. All of these things. You're going to have to yeah. know how to explain that. But ideally, you have a great lender that you can use, that you can trust, will not be lazy, and can help that buyer. Now, why is that important? Obviously, you'll be able to sell a house to somebody who can actually get a mortgage. That's a, one big reason. But another reason is, is because when you're meeting with that buyer uh, and you're having them uh, you know, obligate themselves to work with you exclusively, one of the reasons is, is because you're now showing your level of skill with regards to mortgage products. And all yes. the other agents out there don't know anything about this. And so now you're going to explain, this is how it's going to work. This is how we're going to negotiate in the, uh, in the purchase contract where the seller is going to contribute to your closing costs and all the rest of it. And that's how you win in a market like this, especially in a transitional phase like what we're experiencing. Well, that's right. And these are so many more complex conversations. You know, a lot of agents have never had it occur to them that you can ask for and get the seller to pay some closing costs, like right. which is the very base level of this conversation, right? And it goes deeper from there. There are a lot more mortgage um, products out there. There's new stuff coming out every day. This morning, I read an article that Freddie Mac is now bringing back and enhancing their down payment assistance programs for first-time buyers to put only 3% down. Of course, you have to qualify. There's some rules, and not everybody's going to offer that. So Practically every day, there's some kind of a new program, and certainly the builders are good at this as well. So know about that stuff. And remember, guys, this is for you new agents out there. Your buyer might be going to XYZ Mortgage or Wells Fargo or whatever, right? But the reality of it is, is that they're probably actually getting a government Fannie Mae Freddie Mac right. mortgage. The servicer is the person that collects the money, collects the payment, originates the loan, does the whole thing. But then that loan is essentially guaranteed by the government. 
So you can go to the government's websites and you can see what their different mortgage products are, but this is the tricky part. Not all lenders can do government loans. So you're going to have to know what you're dealing with. That's right. And by the way, remember we did a whole podcast about some of those special loan programs and how to find them. Yes. Yeah, and you can yeah. listen to all of our thousands of past podcasts for free. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. Point number four, how to provide overwhelming ba uh, value to your buyer clients. Be a matchmaker. You have to be more proactive than your buyer is. If they're dying to be in just one specific neighborhood, you're going to have to door knock that neighborhood for them to uncover the next motivated seller. If they're in a new construction price range, but they haven't really considered it, go take a video of a home that could be a match for them and see what their thoughts are or set up a showing, register them with the builder. If there's a for sale by owner in their desired neighborhood and price range, you better be talking to that seller, taking a video, setting up a showing before your buyer does that without you. You know, every week I hear agents complaining you're not going to believe what my buyer did. Yeah. After I took them out on three trips, they went and they bought it for sale by owner at their open house. Well, that's because the buyer was more proactive than you were. Or they bought new construction. That's happening a ton Very too. commonly. Very commonly. So be a matchmaker. Be more proactive. Point number five, provide additional value by being one step ahead of your buyers when they are pending. Practice over-communication. Manage the inspection process so they don't freak out over small items and then back out. Set up their utilities for them. Recommend movers, homeowners insurance, and anything else to alleviate stress. Show your value by making the process smooth and pleasurable instead of stressful and confusing. And of course, we have an entire section in Premier Coaching called Buyer Mastery, which is centered on the buyer presentation that we've been referring to throughout this podcast, and we're going to do a big drill down later this week on another podcast. But you can certainly get help with this. There's no reason to hit the panic button just because you're going to have to defend your value. You need to get better at that because you can no longer use the objection handler. Well, it doesn't cost you anything to, buy, to work with me anyway. That's kind of lame now. But well, again, as I'm listening to you and reading your notes and mm -hmm. I'm thinking what all of our tens of thousands of you know, listeners are thinking yeah. right now, this is not something you can procrastinate, frankly. This is something you should have put in place, the systems and the scripts and a more formalized approach with working with buyers. You should have had this in place a long time ago. And team leaders and brokers and everybody else, you've got to go to your agents. and you, It's no longer an option. You're not going to have agents that are going to be able to make money working with buyers anymore unless they're essentially getting these exclusives signed. Because the buyer's agents or the buyers themselves when they're confronted with the fact that, you know, I'm going to go work with Bob, who I know from church, and he's the greatest realtor ever. And then Bob doesn't want to actually, you know, uh, explain that now the buyer is obligated to pay his commission. And then sure enough, Bob finds him a house and there's no, in, you know, there's no buyer's agent's commission that's offered. Now Bob's going to have to go to that buyer and explain why they should be paying him whatever his percent is on top of what their closing costs and the rest of right. it is, that completely is going to go the wrong direction. Do you think, what do you think is going to happen there? What's going to happen with Bob and his, the viability? Well, Bob's going to go away. Bob's going to okay, go away. And here's the other thing that's in the back of their minds. Well, I know what I'll do. I'll just search in the MLS and prioritize my showings by whatever the top percentage is. Well, guess what? A lot of the MLSs are disabling that ability or it's being outlawed. You're going to be out of compliance if you're doing that, or it just will simply be impossible to search in that manner. That is not a plan. And I would argue it's also against your agency. So. Well, don't be intimidated by any of this. This All we're saying is this is the you know formalized wake-up call, and we're going to talk more about this the rest of the week. None of this is hard either. No, it's not. And it's not something that – if you look, if you've been in the real estate business for like the last 15 years and only the last 15 years – 
and everyone wanted to buy a house and there was match, massive sure. FOMO everywhere. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, and you've only worked with buyers and let's say you've been used to paying, mm-hmm. buying your buyer leads, you've been a Zillow flex agent or whatever. And now you're waking up and you're realizing, oh my gosh, I have not, now I've got to actually formally, uh, you know, get those uh, buyers to agree to pay a commission Oh my gosh, that's going to be a bridge too How far am I for do me. That? Don't yeah. think like that. All this, guys, is the presentation that, again, Julie said it earlier, right? A, a contract or the signing of an agreement is the logical end of a questions based presentation. Mm-hmm. So after you explain to them the value, which all of you, you, you know, you do offer value to the buyers, uh, after you explain to them what you do and how you do it, they're going to want to pay you because you're worth it, provided you explain to them why you're worth it. Yeah, so if you're weird about that, then of course your buyer prospect will also be weird about that. Right. But the thing you have to realize is all of the other professionals in the world, and of course agents are always clamoring they want to be treated more professionally, right? Think about all the professionals that you deal with. You do not get even dental work done without the assistant coming in and going over what's going to be done, what your insurance is, what it's going to cost, asking you some questions, and guess what? Getting your signature. Well, the, so it's it's normal with other professionals. Where this becomes awkward is what I mentioned earlier. When someone, a lot of agents get most of their business from centers of influence and past yeah. clients, mm-hmm. and if all of a sudden now you're having to explain to your mom right. why she has to sign sure. something obligating yourself to your buyer's agent commission, you're going to have to work <laughs> through the skill set of getting mom to agree to pay or that or refer mom to somebody else. <laughs> exactly, but depending on your mom. Yeah. But you can do it. You guys can do it. This is just a this is a, a new thing to learn. But in the process of you having learned it and uh, working towards mastering it, you will have an unfair advantage in the marketplace because you will have actually taken a more professional approach, whereas all the other buyer's agents are going to struggle to figure this out. Well, and aren't you going to feel a lot more confident spending your time, you know, all the energy and the work, especially finding the right inventory these days, right? You're going to feel so much more confident, so much better about spending your time with those clients, knowing that you are actually going to get paid and not just you know, praying to the real estate gods that it's all going to work out for you. Well, I mean, knowing you're going to get paid, but at the end of the day, uh, there's no such thing as a buyer that has to buy, right? That's true too. Because buyers are always want to buy, which goes back to the reason that we always (laughs) focus all of you guys in on Mm -hmm. being listing agents, because it really is the the bottom line. When you're deciding where to spend your energies and efforts every day, you're going to want to spend it with the types of people that are frankly selling their houses in the last 12 months. Those are people that had to sell there weren't a lot of, well, let's just see if pigs fly and I get my price. These are people that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, Julie's, you know, pregnant with quadruplets. <laughs> and we're in a one bedroom condo. All right, exactly. That's not going to work. Or all of a sudden you inherited a property or all of a sudden you get relocated to, you know, wherever. Those are the types of transactions in the sellers that were in the marketplace. Those are called have to sell sellers. They have to sell the house. The option of keeping the house is not really, doesn't financially make sense. There is no such thing as on the buyer side of the transaction. Buyers can always stay put and always stay, mm-hmm. you know, renting. Um, yeah. So again, if you really, you know, really want to focus your mind, always put your best effort into becoming a listing agent. But in the meantime, obviously buyers are a viable part of the uh, opportunity that is real estate. Thank you for keeping this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.